British Spy Stories, Season 1 Spy or Traitor? Episode 9 As Geraldine walks into his office, Marcus Murphy is on the phone, his short frame bouncing on one leg, then the other. With his free hand, he manages to indicate to her both that he won't be long and to take a seat. That's the plan, Sir Stephen, he says in answer to a question from the caller. I'm seeing her now, in fact. He looks across at Geraldine and raises his eyebrows to connect her with the words. OK, sure, yeah, talk then, bye. He finishes the call. Miss Teich, good of you to drop by. You wanted to see me, sir? Indeed, the other day I mentioned a plan we were cooking up on the dark side here that features you and Mr. Palmer. She nods hesitantly. I have spoken to my colleagues and I want to share our ideas with you, continues Murphy. Truth is, young Palmer got involved with an op of ours without knowing it. Mistaken identity, you see. He happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. When he was stabbed, says Geraldine. The background to this started last week. Palmer witnessed a murder within the criminal fraternity here in Berlin. It seems that the killers thought that your good friend was an active field agent and he had witnessed their misdemeanour. He told me about the man being shot, she says. Did he? Messy business. Murphy walks from his desk to the window and looks out, still talking. The people concerned are part of a network across Europe, run by a man called Sebastian Ulrich. He has increased his potential in Berlin in the last three or four weeks. He's running his operation from France, but the Berlin cell is particularly violent, made up of men who are well known to us. He looks directly at her. We've been breaking into their operations and attempting disruption from the inside. Then he suddenly adds, Do you know what a drop point is, by any chance? Isn't it a place where documents can be left? She says, succinctly. Murphy is impressed by her awareness. Quite. You all know that we have dead drop points which are unmanned, and drop points which are people. Those people live apparently normal lives until they are needed as part of an operation. Let me tell you about the plan I have for you and Mr Palmer. He sits down opposite her and starts to explain what he needs her and Stuart to do. The Met Bar is quieter than usual. Hans picks up empty coffee cups and glasses from previous customers and stacks them by the bar. The door swings open and a man who Hans doesn't know takes a table by the front window. Hans gives him a couple of minutes, then approaches. What can I get for you? I'm not here for coffee, Gordon, says the man. Hans' training kicks in without him or the guy realising it. American accent. He has lived in Washington as an adult. Hair dark, closely cropped, eyes blue, alert. One slightly off-centre. Hands tanned. He holds them together for reassurance. Who are you? CIA, says the man. The guy reaches into his jacket pocket and produces an ID. Hands inspects it, and it seems real. The man's name is James McKinney. 
I'm looking for a colleague of yours, says McKinney. Official business? Maybe. Tell me, says Hans, sitting down on the other side of the small round table. Gabrielle Lane, says McKinney. We're keen to know her whereabouts. Hans' poker face remains static. You'll know that I have no operational information passed to me in this role. Sure, I know that's what it says in your job description, says McKinney. But we know how it works in the real world, don't we, Gordon? Do we? We know she was here. We know she called on you three days ago, and the two of you chatted away like old buddies. It's Hans's turn to say, Maybe. You don't need to confirm or deny it, Gordon. We know that already. What we don't know is where she went after your cosy tete-a-tete. When you say, We, James, you mean the CIA is looking for a British civil servant, and the only way to find her is to ask a barman in Berlin? We know she's gone off-grid, Gordon. This is an official CIA op, James, is it? You know, I can check that. You won't find it in our operational logs, Gordon, says McKinney. Interesting. McKinney's eyes narrow. What are you hiding? Tell you what, I'll feed your inquiry into my official channels, and you can collect your answer from Langley. That ain't gonna work for me, I'm afraid. You surprise me, says Hans. Let's not make this more difficult for ourselves, Gordon. You tell me where she's gone, and I'll walk out here all friendly-like. I hope that's not a threat, McKinney. Hans predicts his next move in the half-second before McKinney's hand moves around the right side of his body and onto his handgun. Hans slams his hand down on McKinney's arm with all his force. McKinney's hand crashes onto the metal table, causing a hard echo on the walls of the Met Bar. Hans pulls his other arm up, removes the gun from the holster under the American's arm, and pushes it into the man's gut. Stand up for me, says Hans. McKinney waits a full second, considering his options, then slowly stands. Walk to the bar. They reach the long, straight, wooden counter that runs the length of the room. Hans reaches over and pulls out a plastic tie-grip from under the bar and ties it around McKinney's two wrists, then dumps him on a nearby chair. Hans dials a number on his phone. Catharsis. I have a parcel for collection, location Epsilon 14. He listens to the response. The parcel has a DC address on it but I'm not sure that's right. He rings off. McKinney sits staring into the distance. Going to tell me who you are before the cavalry arrives, McKinney? I don't think you're CIA. You got any water? Says McKinney. Hans collects a cup from behind the bar, fills it and comes back around to where McKinney is sitting. He lifts the cup to his lips and the guy drinks slowly. The next thing Hans feels is a stinging in his left leg and a warm spout of blood coming from a gash in his thigh. He bends with the pain. 
McKinney slashes the knife along the skin, then pushes hands off balance. He sprawls across two tables, sending chairs sliding across the surface of the floor. McKinney kicks hands in the stomach, and the Englishman's body jerks with the impact. He stands over the bloodied man for a second. If we don't find her, we'll come back and talk to you again, Gordon. That's a promise. McKinney turns and walks out of the premises one minute before the parcel collectors pull up outside the bar. Lawton walks along the sixth-floor corridor of the MI6 Vauxhall Cross building on the south side of the Thames. He is feeling tired. He can't shake off the feeling that he has put himself in a position where others are starting to shape his life, a life he has so forensically created and controlled over the last decades. The mysterious contacts in Moscow are a worry to him. He has never met any of them, but he does know they have changed over the years. The people who recruited Lawton at Oxford are all no longer working for the SVR, but decisions are being made about him by new people, somewhere in the faceless grey buildings of the first directorate headquarters at Yasinovo. He stops at a door marked Churchill Conference Room and goes through. Inside the room are people from an array of departments from MI5 and MI6. Sir Bernard is sitting at the head of a long rectangular table reading a paper file in front of him while people mill about getting tea and finding seats. Lawton takes a chair next to his boss. This is an extraordinary situation, Stephen. You know, I've never had a field agent go off-grid like this since Bagatelle in 2004. Do you remember? says Sir Bernard. I do remember, he says. The truth of the last twenty years is starting to pound away inside Stephen's head. Agent Bagatelle had been Pamela Fawkes. She had been stationed in Austria, overseeing turned agents from the smaller countries of the old Soviet Union. Her role was to get them to cross over into MI6, and either defect or be relaunched as a double agent. Fawkes had disappeared from her station in the British Embassy in Vienna, on a cold, dark November night in 2004, never to be seen again until her body was dragged up from the lower reaches of the Danube a fortnight later. Agent Bagatelle was just one of the British agents who Lawton has sent to the Wolves during his illustrious career. "'Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats,' says Sir Bernard. "'We're here to discuss and identify an ops plan to manage Agent Blackhawk all of you know her in some way, or you've been in touch with her in the last five days. In the next two hours, we will build up a profile of her to inform our plan and locate her and bring her back under section control. You all know Sir Stephen Lawton here on my left. Lawton runs Ops Europe, and so is Blackhawk's head of section. Lawton smiles weakly. We'll go through the events of the last five days chronologically he continues. Let me introduce Ella Peretz from Investigations, who can start the ball rolling. Ella? We have completed an all-known data file on Blackhawk, which is eyes only for Sir Bernard and Sir Stephen, she begins, looking in turn at the two most senior men in the room. 
For this meeting, I'll take you through the operational events leading to Stranra's death. She goes through the details that she had done the day before with Sir Bernard. Then, Agent Cabinet Maker from London Central Control relates the conversation he had with Gabrielle when she was in the London safe house and porting her network to Spain. As Cab finishes, the door at the far end of the room opens and Marjorie Allardyce walks in. The faces in the room turn simultaneously to look at the latecomer. Marjorie finds a chair and sits. Welcome, says Sir Bernard. This is Agent Exeter. She worked in six and now crossed the Rubicon to our friends in Thames House. Your timing is excellent, Exeter. I wanted you to run through the psychological profile of Blackhawk. I know you are a close friend. I think you work together in Alpha Ops. That's right, Sir Bernard, says Marjorie, who has the ability to speak intimately, but simultaneously, to the whole room. Apologies, I could only come here for the second hour of this. Oh, one second, Exeter, says Sir Bernard. Just before you share your thoughts, I meant to introduce everyone to Agent Riverside. He indicates a tall, sandy-haired man in his late thirties, sitting at the far end of the table. Riverside is an experienced agent. He will be leading our recovery operation to bring in Blackhawk. This session is vital for him to formulate the details of how that can be done. Riverside looks around at the people in the room. Exeter, if you would, says Sir Bernard. Gabrielle Lane is a loner, begins Marjorie. She always has been. It's not the service that has made her one. We met on her first day in six, and even then, she wasn't the sort to make friends easily. It comes from a fundamental distrust of people. Her father died when she was a girl, and her teenage brain hardwired a self-dependency into her soul. She stops for any reactions, but there are none, so she continues. Gabby is also unpredictable. She doesn't believe in doing things that are expected of her. It's almost as though her first option is to go against the rules. But actually, she's more sophisticated than that. She'll comply with the rules as long as they suit her, but then go her own way when they don't. She's difficult to manage. Several of her senior managers found her nearly impossible to deal with. But that says as much about them as it does about Gabby. But she is very much a completer finisher. She won't stop until she has what she wants. She is driven by her desire to do the right thing. The operations that she has been involved with have always been a success, and any consequent deaths are always justified in her mind. What do you think she will do next? It's Ella Perez. She doesn't feel trapped. She never feels trapped, says Marjorie. She feels as though she is the only one who knows the truth, and that no one she meets will be worthy of her trust. So, she'll have a plan to sort out whatever she feels is the problem. And what is that plan? says Sir Bernard. She believes there's a mole in six, across our European network. The Stranraer death could only have happened with a leak of his kill location. Gabby only registered the location on the network the previous evening, so it's someone who has full access to the ops data 
as it flows in real time. Someone in Ops branch, then, Lugton says, as his pulse rises. That's the most likely explanation, says Marjorie. Then the individual leaks would seem like ordinary mission comms. That is a serious accusation, Exeter, says Sir Bernard. Perez, did your team find any leak potential? We didn't, but we weren't looking for that, says Ella. We were just recording the steps from Blackhawk logging in the CT-72 order up to Stranra's termination, being registered with London Centre. Eyes turn to Sir Bernard. His own gaze flits between the people around the table. We need to move quickly on this, ladies and gentlemen, he says. Riverside, any initial thoughts? I need to get her to meet me, he says, and I have an idea that should be attractive for her. Go on, says Lawton. Marjorie is listening intently. As Exeter said, Blackhawk is a problem solver, driven to get to the bottom of things, but she holds her own view and doesn't accept the official line unless she can personally validate it. There are nods at these words. I suggest we offer a meeting to help find Stranra's killer, says Riverside, implying I know the mole and can help her with her cause. Would that work, Exeter? It's Lawton. Yes, her world is her world. You have to understand that and be relevant to her, says Marjorie. Is there any way to get a message to her, Lawton? Asks Sir Bernard, turning to Sir Stephen. Some sort of back channel. She does have some trusted people in her network, says Lawton. Marjorie shifts in her seat. Agent Hans is one of her closest. We'll see if he can get a message to her. All right, says Sir Bernard. Where will you meet her, Riverside? Neutral territory, Switzerland. When do you go? Immediately, says Riverside. Lawton's brain spins. Anything else, anyone? Sir Bernard looks around the table, but no one speaks. I'll need a daily update, Riverside. Eyes only for me and Sir Stephen. Yes, sir. Sir Bernard stands up and walks out. Lawton tries to remain outwardly calm, but the pressure on him has ratcheted up another notch, and he can feel his heart beating in his chest. <laughs>